So Joe Biden's presidency is over. I'm just going to put it out there right now. His presidency is over. It was ended yesterday when the special counsel, Robert Hur, the person who is investigating Joe Biden's mishandling of classified materials, issued a report essentially suggesting that Joe Biden is non-compos mentis, that the dude does not have a functioning brain. He said it in the report. We're gonna get to all the details because Joe Biden then proceeded to blow himself up like the challenger. It's the most disastrous press conference in American history. It was a shocking day in politics yesterday. It all began with the usual, which is Joe Biden going out on the stump and making dumb mistakes and seeming as though he's not all there. So yesterday, Joe Biden was giving a speech In the middle of the speech, he started, again, babbling nonsensically, missing up basic terms. Here here he was yesterday. When I said, when I pushed all these programs, I said, I'm going to be a president for everybody, whether you live in a red state or a green state. Red state or a green state. And this is every single day with Joe Biden. We've been doing this for a couple of years at this point, where every clip you play of Joe Biden, he's screwing something up. And as I've said before, watching a Joe Biden press conference at this point is like watching a Walenda cross a tightrope over a volcano. You're not watching because you're hopeful that he's going to make it. You're watching because you want to be watching if, God forbid, he falls off the tightrope. And yesterday, Joe Biden didn't just fall off the tightrope. He jumped off the tightrope directly into the political volcano. Now, again, all this began with this usual day, this sort of mistake. Karine Jean-Pierre is increasingly being asked to defend the fact that Joe Biden is not all there. Here she was yesterday giving a variety of excuses for why he had screwed up a bunch of different things over the course of the last week or so. This happens, uh, you know, it, um, uh, it, is, it happens to all of us uh, and it is common, but I do, want to not, I do want to make sure we don't forget what the overall arching kind of theme, what he is trying to say about, about our leadership on the global stage. What do you say then to Americans who have that concern and they see three times in just a couple days the president getting the name of a leader wrong and referencing somebody who is deceased? So look, again, as you just stated in your question to me, I, I just laid out um, other, other leaders in their community or elected officials who have done the same. Uh, so it is not, uh, uh, not uncommon. Look, when you're in, the, in meetings with the president, how often does he confuse names like we've seen him do? I've not seen him do that. Okay, she's lying. He does it all the time. So the line from the White House has been, sure, he's up there in age, but you screw things up too. You forget where your keys are. You forget where your phone is. That doesn't mean that he can't be president of the United States. And then yesterday, in the middle of the afternoon, the special counsel report on Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents breaks. And there are two headlines from the report. One of the headlines is that Joe Biden is quote unquote exonerated. Now, that headline buries a lot of misuse of classified materials. We're going to go through the whole report. But the big headline is that the real reason that they are not actively going to prosecute Joe Biden for mishandling classified materials is because they believe that he is a senile old man. So let's go through the report in all of its detail. And then we'll get to what, again, is the Hindenburg of presidential press conferences. Oh, the humanity. I mean, Joe Biden set himself almost on literal fire. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values. And that when people say free, they should mean, you know, actually free. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. No four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last, rugged screen, quick charging battery, top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. 
Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family will save almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk for years at this point. I can tell you that coverage is excellent. I trust them. You can too. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company today. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. So, here is what the special counsel report said. We're going to divide it up into a few parts here so that you get all the details because this is pretty important. So first, yes, Joe Biden did keep classified documents. Clearly, there were classified materials that were in his possession. But, says the Department of Justice, we're not going to prosecute him. Quote, we conclude no criminal charges are warranted in this matter. We would reach the same conclusion even if Department of Justice policy did not foreclose criminal charges against a sitting president. Our investigation uncovered evidence that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. These materials included, one, marked classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan, and two, notebooks containing Mr. Biden's handwritten entries about issues of national security and foreign policy, implicating sensitive intelligence sources and methods. FBI agents recovered these materials from the garage, offices, and basement den in Mr. Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home. However, for the reasons summarized below, we conclude the evidence does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, what exactly did Biden have in his possession? Apparently, he had documents from fall 2009 that had classification markings up to top secret, sensitive, compartmented information level. Those were found in a box in Biden's Delaware garage that contained other materials of great personal significance to him and that he appears to have personally used and accessed as well. These materials were mostly proof of a stand that Mr. Biden took that he regarded as very important, which was all about how he was pushing Barack Obama to basically just pull full scale out of Afghanistan, which, of course, Joe Biden then did as president when he became president in the most disastrous fashion in American history. Now, the report continues. And he said, and, and the special counsel says that Joe Biden certainly knew this was illegal or should have known it was illegal to keep these classified materials. And this report reads a lot like the Hillary Clinton report that eventually exonerated her from James Comey, basically saying she was guilty. But okay, so what this, this report really is, is he's guilty of mishandling classified materials. But so Joe Biden should have known this was illegal. According to the special counsel, Robert Hur. some evidence suggests Mr. Biden knew he could not keep classified handwritten notes at home after leaving office. Biden who had decades of experience with classified information, was deeply familiar with the measures taken to safeguard classified information and the need for those measures to prevent harm to national security. In fact, twice in 2017, Joe Biden visited the National Archives SCIF to review his classified note cards while writing his book. But he kept his notebooks, which also contained classified information, in unlocked drawers at home. He had strong motivations to do so and to ignore the rules for properly handling the classified information in his notebooks. He consulted those notebooks liberally during hours of discussions with his ghostwriter and viewed them as highly private and valued possessions with which he was unwilling to part. In fact, while reading aloud from his notebook, and this is the most damning part, while reading aloud from his notebook, Mr. Biden listed four points he made about the Iraq situation during a July 7th, 2015 meeting. Biden explained to his ghostwriter, a person named Mark Zwanitzer, that he had made a similar argument years earlier during the 2009 debate about the troop surge in Afghanistan. Biden told Zwanitzer he had sent Obama a 40-page handwritten memo arguing against the deployment of additional troops in Afghanistan. Mid-sentence during the interview, Biden said in a matter-of-fact tone that he had, quote, just found all the classified stuff downstairs. So again, first rule of criming, folks, don't do it on tape. Joe Biden did it on tape. He admits full scale on the tape 
in his words, that he, quote, just found all the classified stuff downstairs. Okay, which is him admitting that he has classified stuff and it is downstairs. It is no different than Donald Trump bragging to a reporter that he had in front of them a classified set of documents all about Iran, for example. This is the same thing. He says, I, have, I just found all the classified stuff downstairs. And that should be open and shut case of violation of criminal law when it comes to classified information and mishandling thereof. And as we see, our, our political bosses in this country, they get treatment that no one else would receive. When my wife, doctor, was working at Veterans Affairs, if she had walked out of the Veterans Affairs building, this is when she was in residency, with violations of HIPAA material, she could have been prosecuted. Joe Biden is bragging to his ghostwriters that he has classified documents at the highest level in his cabinet downstairs on tape, and they still didn't prosecute him. The special counsel found that there is evidence that after his vice presidency, Biden willfully retained marked classified documents about Afghanistan and unmarked classified handwritten notes in his notebooks, both of which he stored in unsecured places in his house. And it's clearly Biden's material. It's not as though it got mixed in. And we know this because this is kind of funny. He wrote on one of the folders, Afghanistan, but he spelled Afghanistan without the H. Remember, this This is Captain Brilliance over here. He can't spell the word Afghanistan, but he knows all about Afghanistan policy. According to the special counsel, Mr. Biden said the handwritten label on the folder looks like his handwriting. The distinctive misspelling of Afghanistan confirms this. Biden repeatedly used this or a similar misspelling in handwritten notes as vice president. And before that, in notes he took a senator dating back to 1980. So, Again, I mean, let, let's be real about this. Joe Biden was never any intellectual great shakes. The fact that he's been misspelling the word Afghanistan for literally 40 years is kind of amazing. Okay, so the special counsel then finds a series of excuses for why Joe Biden should not be prosecuted. So number one, the special counsel says, we expect Biden's defense at trial would be he thought that his notebooks were personal property and he was allowed to take them home, even if they contained classified information. During our interview of him, Mr. Biden was emphatic, declaring his notebooks are, quote, my property, and every president before me has done the exact same thing. And now, that sounds a lot like President Trump, frankly. President Trump has been claiming over and over and over that every document in his possession is mine. And that's actually been the real excuse. It's not as though he was going to disseminate documents to the Russians or something. He's like, these are my documents, I'm keeping. I mean, it's exactly what Biden is saying, except Biden is saying, they're my documents, I'm keeping. So that excuse for not prosecuting Biden looks very much like the defense that Donald Trump is going to use in his own classified documents mishandling case. Furthermore, the place where Biden was storing this stuff, not exactly the most secure location. Quote, we expect many jurors to be struck by the place where the Afghanistan documents were ultimately found in Biden's Delaware home. In a badly damaged box in the garage near a collapsed dog crate, a dog bed, a Zappos box, an empty bucket, a broken lamp wrapped with duct tape, potting soil, and synthetic firewood. So clearly handling classified materials in the way they should be handled. Now, the special counsel does go out of his way to try to distinguish Biden from Trump, saying, quote, most notably, after being given multiple chances to return classified documents and avoid prosecution, Mr. Trump allegedly did the opposite. According to the indictment, he not only refused to return documents for months, he also obstructed justice by enlisting others to destroy evidence and then to lie about it. In contrast, Biden turned in classified documents to the National Archives, etc. Now, is that dispositive on a difference between Trump and Biden? Not really. Because what that really suggests is that Joe Biden was perfectly willing to mishandle classified documents for years on end. And only when he got caught, that is when he turned over all the documents, which doesn't relieve you of the responsibility not to mishandle classified documents. If I take home classified documents for 10 years and I mishandle them and I leave them out everywhere, and then you come to me and say, turn in the documents, and then I turn in the documents, that doesn't mean I didn't do a, a criminal act before. And by the way, when it comes to Hillary Clinton, she actually like bleach bit her hard drive and all that. But 
None of this, none of this is the real reason they're not prosecuting Joe Biden. The real reason they are not prosecuting Joe Biden is because special counsel Robert Hood makes it clear in the report. This is what's so devastating for Biden. He makes it clear over and over and over again in this report that Joe Biden is no longer mentally fit to be even in the even in the defense box, let alone president of the United States. What I'm about to read to you are all direct quotes from the special counsel report, making absolutely clear that Joe Biden is no longer with us. And not only that, has not been with us for years. We'll get to more on this in just a moment. First, we're experiencing a lot of global instability as we plunge into primary season. How are you protecting your family in the middle of all of this chaos? The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political and economic upheaval dating back to ancient times. That, of course, is gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold and Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out and balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text Ben to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. Claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold the way that I did. Diversification is always a smart business strategy, particularly in really tenuous times. This is a tenuous time. You should check out my friends over at Birch Gold. Text Ben to 989898. Get in touch with them today. Ask all your questions. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold. Here's what the report says, quote, Mr. Biden's memory was significantly limited, both during his recorded interviews with a ghostwriter in 2017 and in his interview with our office in 2023. Now, remember, the year is 2024. This report is saying, that Joe Biden's memory was going in 2017. That is full on seven years ago. And it's gotten worse since then. Quote, we have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. So in other words, his defense is going to be that he is a nice old gent who doesn't remember things anymore. Which, is that a great description of what you want in the Oval Office? Based on our direct interactions with and observations of him, he is someone for whom many jurors will want to identify reasonable doubt. It would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him by then a former president well into his 80s of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness. So they're saying that they're just going to see a geriatric Dottard and they're going to let him off. More quotes from the special counsel report. Quote, Mr. Biden's memory also appears to have significant limitations, both at the time he spoke to his ghostwriter Zwanitzer in 2017, as evidenced by their recorded conversations, and today, as evidenced by his recorded interview with our office. Mr. Biden's recorded conversations with Zwanitzer from 2017 are often painfully slow, with Mr. Biden struggling to remember events and straining at times to read and relay his own notebook entries. Another quote, in his interview with our office, Mr. Biden's memory was even worse He did not remember when he was vice president. This is mind-boggling stuff, folks. Joe Biden sits down with the special counsel investigating him over classified documents. He's president of the United States at the time. He does not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of his interview when his term ended. Quote, if it was 2013, when did I stop being vice president? And forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term began. Quote, in 2009, am I still vice president? Now, call me crazy, but it seems to me that the president of the United States should remember when he was vice president of the United States, like in terms of the years. That seems pretty important. Like, I remember the year that we started our company here at Daily Wire. Pretty important year. It's 2015. I remember it's pretty important. There's a lot going on that year. 
that's not being vice president of the United States. He was vice president. He couldn't remember the years he was vice president. It gets worse. Quote, he did not remember even within several years when his son Bo died. Mind boggling. Absolutely mind boggling. I mean, Joe Biden pulls out the story of Bo's death all the time on the campaign trail when asked difficult questions all the time. It started off as sort of a sad thing that he would that he would talk about his deceased son. And then it became obnoxious and terrible because he would do it in the worst possible circumstances. He'd be talking to the family of a dead soldier and he would suddenly be talking about Bo and implying that Bo had died in Iraq in service or something. But now we are learning from the special counsel that he didn't, he quote, did not remember even within several years when his son Bo died. And his memory appeared hazy when describing the Afghanistan debate that was once so important to him. Among other things, he mistakenly said he had a real difference of opinion with General Carl Eikenberry, when in fact Eikenberry was an ally who Mr. Biden cited approvingly in his Thanksgiving memo to President Obama. There's more. Quote, given Mr. Biden's tendency toward loose talk with Zwanitzer and Mr. Biden's limited precision and recall during his interview with our office discussed above, reasonable jurors may hesitate to place too much evidentiary weight on a single eight-word utterance to Zwanitzer from almost eight years ago in the absence of other more direct evidence. In other words, the reason that we're not prosecuting him over saying to his ghostwriter, I have a bunch of classified information downstairs, is because he's too old and he's too senile. And then they reiterate, Biden will likely present himself to the jury as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. While he is and must be accountable for his actions, he is, after all, the president of the United States. Based on our direct observations of him, Biden is someone for whom many jurors will want to search for reasonable doubt. Quote, we believe some of the same evidence that supports reasonable doubt for classified Afghanistan documents also supports reasonable doubts for the notebooks, including... Mr. Biden's cooperation with the investigation, his diminishing faculties in advancing age and his sympathetic demeanor. Again, nice old senile man is the verdict. That's why he's not going to jail. This report is so much more devastating than a simple indictment would have been. A simple indictment, Biden probably would have gotten off. It would have killed Trump's classified documents indictment as well. But the stain of a special prosecutor saying we cannot prosecute him because he is old and senile is devastating. And of course, the Biden team picked up on that right away. They sent a letter, his lawyers, to Robert Hur, quote, we do not believe the report's treatment of President Biden's memory is accurate or appropriate. The report uses highly prejudicial language to describe a commonplace occurrence among witnesses, a lack of recall of years old events. Such comments have no place in a Department of Justice report, particularly one that in the first paragraph announces no criminal charges are warranted and that the evidence does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt. And then they make an excuse. The excuse they use for why Joe Biden can't recall when his son died or when he was vice president is, quote, his interview began the day after the October 7th attacks on Israel. That's going to be the actual line. That's going to be the actual line. Now, I ask you, is that a good defense? So there is a major international crisis and the president gets more senile. And that apparently is supposed to be a defense to his senility. See, that's why we hire you for the job is because you're supposed to handle the 4 a.m. phone call, as Hillary Clinton once called it, with some level of mental acuity. If you lose your faculties the minute an international emergency breaks out, what are you good for? What are you good for? So President Biden then put out a written statement in which he said, quote, over my career in public service, I've always worked to protect America's security. I take these questions seriously. No one has ever questioned that. Okay, he didn't make any comment in his original statement about his lack of mental faculty at this point. Jake Tapper on CNN was correctly skeptical of Biden's original explanation. And you could see 
many members of the media were pretty critical of the defense because we can all see it. We can all see it. Everybody has been told in the media to shut up about Joe Biden being senile. He's senile. He's been senile for several years at this point. We all know it. Every time you watch him talk, you see it. Every time you watch him walk, you can see he no longer is in control of himself. This is not a giant secret. We've all just been gaslit for years on end. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, a child's life is molded by his or her home, school, friends, community. A positive experience in all these areas helps build a healthy child. Cars for Kids, that's Cars with a K, is a registered nonprofit organization aimed at giving children the tools to succeed in life. If you have a car that's just sitting in your driveway, taking up space, you should consider donating it to Cars for Kids. You know Cars for Kids, they've got that jingle, right? The 1877-Cars-for-Kids-K-R-S. You know it. If you're tired of looking at that old car in your driveway or hearing your spouse complain about it, why not let Cars for Kids take care of it for you? Here's how it works. Visit their website at carsforkids.org. Ben. Let them take care of it from there. The whole process only takes two minutes. Cars for Kids will schedule a pickup at a time that's convenient for you. If you don't have a car, you can still help. Cars for Kids accepts non-cash donations of school supplies, clothing, sports equipment, and more. So what exactly are you waiting for? Call now or visit carsforkids.org slash Ben to get the ball rolling today. That's Cars of the K, the number four at carsforkids.org slash Ben. That's carsforkids.org slash Ben. And even the media, members of the media, were starting to say, uh, no, this is... The special counsel is not wrong. Here was Jake Tapper yesterday. Let's talk about that a little bit more, because this is a particularly bad week for this report and its comments about President Biden's faculties and his memory to come out, because twice this week he has acted as if he, in 2021, spoke to European leaders who have been dead for years. Uh, Once he confused uh, Francois Mitterrand, who died in 1996, with Emmanuel Macron, who is still very much alive. And another time he was referring to Angela Merkel, uh, until recently the, the chancellor of Germany, and referred to Helmut Kohl, who I think died in 2017. Um, so this memory issue is already out there. But I want to know how many voters in Michigan, Wisconsin, you think know the difference between no, no, Kohl they don't and, know, but and they, but they Merkel, know or somebody... are going to cast their vote. Well, you asked. You Sorry. Asked. Okay. Or are going to cast their vote for president based on whether someone is naming Emmanuel Macron or Francois Mitterrand, yeah, whose might... name they probably don't even know. But it's so not about I that. Think... It's about faculty and memory and, and, and whether or not somebody they perceive is competent. Okay. So Tapper is speaking for virtually all Americans on this. Whatever Joe Biden's random failure of the day. It's not about what he said when he mixes up a dead French president with a live French president or mixes up Germany and France. The problem, of course, is that everyone knows. Everyone can look and see that Joe Biden is no longer in control of his faculties. So this is now emergency time. And fairly late last night for Joe Biden, which is to say 745 at night. We know that he usually calls a little bit like 7 p.m. Because again, the man is... He is currently on the old age home schedule. They have him in political hospice, this president. It's really sad. Honest to God, it's really, really sad. He's my president because he was elected president. And it's sad to watch the president of the United States not in control of himself. So they they called a presser, an emergency presser at 745. Now, there's only one goal for calling an emergency press conference. And that is to blow up the widespread assumption that Joe Biden is not in control of himself. Right? The idea was going to be that in a normal political cycle, what would happen is the president would come out, he would be fully in control. He'd be ready to go fully in control. And he would then demonstrate that the special counsel was just wrong, that he was having an off day or that he hadn't had a lot of sleep last night 
or that the special counsel hates him. But clearly, this is a person who is not only in command. This is a person who is at the peak of his powers. So Joe Biden comes out last night. We're going to go through this whole press conference because it is the most disastrous press conference in presidential history. It, bar none. Bar none. I've seen a lot of them, folks. I've been following this stuff for over 20 years. And I've seen a lot of tape. This is easily the worst press conference of all time. Because not only does Joe Biden show that he is not in control of his faculties, he then proceeds to commit the same botcheries that led the special counsel to say that he is not in control of his faculties. So this thing starts off. And as always, Joe Biden, it's kind of like a wind up toy at this point. The first several minutes, you're like, okay, well, he looks awake. And then as whatever they've shot him up with wears off, he starts to fail and the batteries start to sputter. And the light behind his eyes starts to dim. You can see it happening in real time, which is why it's important that we watch the whole thing. So Joe Biden staggers out at about 7.55. He's 10, 15 minutes late to his own press conference. And uh, 7.58, I guess. So it's 13 minutes late to his own press conference. And he proceeds to, uh, to then speak about the special counsel report. As you know, the special counsel released his findings today about their look into my handling of classified documents. <clears throat> I was pleased to see he reached a firm conclusion that no charges should be brought against me in this case. This was an exhaustive investigation going back more than 40 years, even into the 1970s when I was still a new United States senator. <clears throat> the special counsel acknowledged I cooperated completely. I did not throw up any roadblocks. I sought no delays. In fact, I was so determined to give the special counsel what he needed I went forward with a five-hour in-person, five-hour in-person interview over two days on October the 8th and 9th of last year, even though Israel had just been attacked by Hamas on the 7th, and I was very occupied. It was in the middle of handling an international crisis. I was especially pleased to see special counsel make clear the stark distinction and difference between this case and Mr. Trump's case. The special counsel wrote, and I quote, Several material distinctions between Mr. Trump's case and Mr. Biden's are clear, continuing to quote. Most notably, after giving multiple chances to return classified documents to avoid prosecution, Mr. Trump allegedly did the opposite. According to the indictment, he not only refused to return the documents for many months, he also obstructed justice by enlisting others to destroy evidence and then to lie about it. In contrast, he went on to say Mr. Biden turned in classified documents to the National Archives and the Department of Justice, consented to the search of multiple locations, including his home, sat for a voluntary interview, and in other ways cooperated with the okay, investigation. so pause it there for a second. You can see, obviously, he's reading off teleprompter. Right? He's not pausing to think or anything. He's, he's reading a quote off the teleprompter, and the slurring is getting worse. Again, I'm hesitant to analyze the affect of Joe Biden's speaking because what's, what's there to say? But this entire press conference was designed regarding. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's say you were a duke of an intergalactic house and one day your emperor decided to give you an additional desert planet to rule. Well, you'd probably think that sounds like an amazing gift. Wrong you are. Because that same emperor decided to blindside you and murder you in your sleep. Pretty sure Duke Leto really wished he had some life insurance the moment that hunter seeker pierced his body. 
No one likes to talk about life insurance, but it's incredibly important and you need to include it in your financial planning this year. Start shopping now with Policy Genius. Find the right policy to protect your family today. Give yourself the peace of mind that comes with knowing that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover all their expenses while getting back on their feet. Policy Genius's technology makes comparing life insurance quotes from America's top insurers easy. Just a few clicks. You already have a life insurance policy through work, but that might not be enough. And if you move jobs, then it doesn't follow you. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies starting at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find the best fit for your needs. When they make it this easy, there really is not an excuse not to do it. Save time, money, provide your family with financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. The entire press conference was about can Joe Biden handle himself for longer than five minutes? We are currently two minutes into this press conference. He's already starting to fade. I've seen the headlines since the report was released about my willful retention of documents. This, these assertions are not only misleading, they're just plain wrong. On page 215, if you had a chance, I know it's a long, it's a thick document. On page 215, the report of the special counsel found the exact opposite. Here's what he wrote. There is, in fact, a shortage of evidence that I willfully retain classified materials related to Afghanistan. On page 12, the special counsel also wrote for another documents. The decision to decline criminal charges was straightforward. The evidence suggests that Mr. Biden did not willfully retain these documents. The evidence said I did not willfully retain these documents. In addition, I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Okay, pause it for a second. Okay, this is where it starts to go off the rails for Joe Biden, truly off the rails. So far, he's just been reading from the report. Now, he has no defense for the claim that he doesn't know when his son died. So instead, he tries to substitute outrage. So the claim was that Joe Biden will be found by a jury to be an affable elderly gentleman who is not in control of his faculties. Joe Biden went out there to prove that he is in control of his faculties. Instead, he spent the rest of the press conference demonstrating that he is, in fact, not affable, that he is, in fact, not likable. So this is where things start to go totally sideways for him. Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Wait, what? Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Oh, no. Every Memorial Day, we hold a service remembering him. Okay, pause it right there. Friends and- he, he literally, in the middle of his big dramatic moment, cannot remember where they got the rosary for Bo. I mean, we, we are three minutes into this press conference. It started at 7.58. It is now 8.01 p.m. Eastern time. And the president of the United States trying to demonstrate that he is in full control of his faculties and getting into the heightened emotional moment of trying to show that he knows every detail about Bo, himself steps directly onto the landmine, mentioning a thing no one asked about, this rosary that he was going to use as a prop. He pulls it out and then cannot remember where he got it. In the middle of the presser. That's just the beginning, folks. It gets worse. Family and the people who loved him. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away or passed away. 
Simple truth is, I sat for a five-hour interview over two days of events. It's getting worse. Back 40 years. At the same time, I was managing an international crisis. Their task was to make a decision about whether to move forward with charges in this case. That's their decision to make. That's the council's decision to make. That's his job. And they decided not to move forward. For any extraneous commentary, they don't know what they're talking about. It has no place in this report. Okay, Bottom stop it there. Is- that, that's not even true. Of course it has a place in the report. The report is not just about whether or not Joe Biden mishandled classified documents. He very clearly did. The question is why you're not prosecuting him if he mishandled classified documents. And the answer is because we're not going to prosecute a senile old man. When he says that it's not their place to analyze that, of course it is. That's what prosecutorial discretion is. This happens literally every day for prosecutors across the country. They have to decide whether they believe they will be able to succeed in a case. And one of the factors in whether you're going to be able to succeed is the state of the defendant in the case. So Joe Biden, again, trying to walk right past the question, it's not going to work. And again, we're four minutes in. I keep I keep time checking this because all he had to do was give a presser in which he said things and didn't answer questions for probably five minutes. And within three, he's screwing up basic matters of fact. He's mischaracterizing the report and he's fading incredibly badly. Here we go. The matter is now closed. I'm going to continue what I've always focused on. My job of being president of the United States of America. Now, thank you, and I'll take some questions. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's uh, that's that's. Do you that's feel my, your memory has gotten worse, Mr. No, president? Look, my memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory. Take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Yeah, pause it for a second. Okay, so. He's not clearing up anything about his memory here. He's simply saying, I just, I did a lot of stuff as president of the United States. And he tries a failed joke about why he's calling on Peter Ducey. My memory's so bad that I even called on you. Ah, ha, ha. This isn't going to work. He looks physically assaulted when the reporters start pestering him with questions. As you'll see for the rest of this presser, which doesn't last very long, the president of the United States is facing incoming questions. This happens all the time. Every president in my lifetime has been in a press scrum The press asks many questions. They're talking over one another. They don't look like this. He looks, I promise you, he looks like one of my small children when there are loud noises in the room. He looks looks physically assaulted by the questions. It's really bad and it gets significantly worse. You think it's bad so far and we're five minutes in? Wait another 30 seconds. We'll get to more of the most disastrous press conference in presidential history in just one second first. Valentine's Day is coming up fast. Jeremy's has the perfect gifts to surprise your better half. Whether you're shopping for him or her, Jeremy's has a bundle they will love. From delicious chocolate to smooth razors to the iconic leftist tears tumbler. And to celebrate, Jeremy's is offering a deal you will love. Get a 20% discount on all Valentine's Day bundles. That is correct, 20% off. But you have to act fast because today is the last day for express shipping on time for Valentine's arrival. This offer is here for a limited time. Go to jeremysrazors.com right now. Order your Valentine's Day bundle before they are gone. Jeremy's Valentine's Day sale. The best way to treat your Valentine and yourself. Also, 
Super Bowl this Sunday, February 11th. But instead of being subjected to the woke commentary and discussions of Taylor Swift every two seconds, why don't you join Crane & Company's live stream and enjoy the matchup? You'll be going live at 6.15 p.m. Eastern. Tune in on Daily Wire Plus or the Crane & Company YouTube channel for live betting and play-by-play analysis. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, I've been talking about my Helix Sleep mattress for years. I got to admit, last night was a very rough night. We had to take the dog to the hospital. Dog is okay, but didn't get a lot of sleep. The sleep I did get is thanks to my Helix Sleep mattress made just for me. If you haven't already checked out the Helix Elite Collection, you need to. Helix harnesses years of mattress expertise to offer a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite Collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress, because why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? I took that Helix quiz. I was matched with a firm but breathable mattress. I love it. My wife loves it. We're big Helix fans here at the Shapiro house. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I'm not sure that has ever happened. Helix is now offering 25% off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for my listeners. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code HELIXPARTNER25. It's their best offer yet. It's not going to last long. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code HELIXPARTNER25. With Helix, better sleep starts right now. It's more on this in just one moment. First, You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy before. Choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I actually research the show's sponsors because I want to recommend brands I believe in. I can say with full confidence, ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. For starters, ExpressVPN does not log your online activity. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They've even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN also uses Lightway. That's a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past. They can sometimes slow your connection, but ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Not to mention, ExpressVPN... Really, really easy to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. You just fire up the app, you tap one button, and now you're connected. Even your grandparents could do it. I'm not just the one saying this. It's Business Insider, The Verge, a lot of other tech journals. They rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN on planet Earth. Protect yourself with the VPN I know and trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Ben today. Get an extra three months free on that one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Okay, meanwhile. So, Joe Biden's press conference continues. Remember, we are currently... Five minutes into his press conference, he has already failed to come up with where his son's rosary came from. And again, that is a that's an own goal. Nobody even asked him about it. He has suggested that his memory is not, in fact, fading in any way, shape, or form while simultaneously fading in energy. He looks like he's being assaulted by the questions that he himself solicited. It gets worse, folks. We are five minutes in. It doesn't last much longer, but it's a bad period of time. Here we go. Have concerns about your age. How are you going to assuage them? And do you fear that this report is only going to fuel further concerns about your age? Only by some of you. Mr. President, 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 Things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were moved, were moved not by me, but my staff, but my staff. Mr. President, 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 M
about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Watch Many me. American people have been watching and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they, your judgment. They, that is your is judgment. Public that is not the judgment concerns. of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? Why, what is your answer to that question? Because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be President of the United States and finish the job I started. You pause it there for a second. So, a couple things. One, when he says that's your judgment, not the judgment of the press, first of all, that is the judgment of the voters. Every poll taken for the last two years has suggested that the American people have deep and apparently well-grounded concerns about Joe Biden's mental state. And then when he says he is the person who is most qualified to be president in the United States, that is a rather audacious claim. How many people really believe, how many Democrats really believe that? That there's no one else, no one else in the United States who's better qualified to be president of the United States than Joe Biden? Nobody believes that, which is why this dude has a serious problem on his hands. I did not share classified information. I did not share it. Pause it. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie. He's just lying. It's not true. The report itself says he shared classified information with his ghostwriter. It says it straight up. When he says that he did not share classified information with his ghostwriter, he is not telling the truth. It is a lie. Hey, so he's lying and he's forgetting things in a press conference that is supposed to be how he is a totally with the truth teller. Continue. Not guarantee you did not. But the what special the, counsel said well, in the no, report that he did, did not say that. Okay, okay. He did but, not say that. But Mr. President, what well, other? Let me okay, answer your question. The fact of the matter is, what I didn't want repeated, I didn't want him to know, and I didn't read it to him, was I had written a long memorandum to President Obama why we should not be in, this, in Afghanistan. And I was of this, multiple pages. And so what I was referring to, I said classified, I should have said it was, should be private because it was a contact between the president and the vice president as to what was going on. That's what he's referring to. It was not classified information in that document. That was not classified. When you look back at this incident, is there anything you would do differently now? And do you think that a special prosecutor should have been appointed in the first place in both of these cases? First of all, what I would have done is oversee the transfer of the material that was in my office, in my offices. I should have done that. If I go back, I didn't have the responsibility to that. That was my staff was supposed to do that, and they referenced that in the report. And my staff did not do it in the way that, for example, I didn't know how half the boxes got in my garage until I found out staff gathered them up, put them together, and took them to the garage in my home. And all the stuff that was in my home was in filing cabinets that were either locked or able to be locked. It was in my house. It wasn't out in, like, in Mar-a-Lago in a public place where, and none of it was high classified. Didn't have any of that red stuff on it. You know what I mean? Around the corners? None of that. And so I wish I had paid more attention to how the documents were being moved and where. I thought they were being moved to the archives. I thought all of it was being moved. That's what I thought. Now, what was the last part of your question? Whether a special counsel should have been appointed in this case and in the case of your rival president, former president. I think a special counsel should have been appointed. 
and the reason I think a special counsel should have been appointed is because I did not want to be in a position that they looked at Trump and weren't going to look at me, just like they looked at the vice president. And the fact is they made a firm conclusion. I did not break the law, period. Thank you all very, very much. Okay, so he says, thank you very much. And then he starts to head off. And at this point, his staff is like, wow, this was, this was bad. This was not good. But maybe they're breathing a sigh of relief. And then he comes back. He comes back for more. Here we go. He comes back for more. And his staff are like, they must be screaming bloody murder at this point. What are you doing? I'm no. of you, as you know, that the conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, Man, he's initially, not the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to Okay, pause in. it for a second. So he comes back just to suggest, apparently, that Israel's response in Gaza has been over the top. Now, the White House is out there, clean up on aisle nine, trying to say that what he was saying is that Hamas's response in Gaza to demands they release the hostages have been over the top. Whatever he means, he clearly is saying something terrible morally there. Israel's response to 1,200 of its citizens being murdered and 240 taken captive and 100 still being held captive is not, in fact, over the top. And it's gross of him to say so to earn votes in Dearborn, Michigan. But then he makes the biggest of all boo-boos. He calls Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, who is the president of Egypt, the president of Mexico, in a press conference designed to show that he is mentally fit and able and his memory is working just fine. In a press conference designed to show that he is with it, he says that the president of Egypt is the president with Mexico. Of Mexico. What in the act? What? And first of all, this would it, this might explain why we have an open border. He keeps calling El Sisi and asking him to shut the border. And El Sisi's like, the border is shut, meaning like the Gaza border. And I was like, well, he tells me it's shut. I guess we don't have a close. What the? As someone tweeted hilariously, denial isn't just a river in Mexico. Like, my goodness, my goodness. Remember, this is 10 minutes into a press conference. 10 minutes. This has not been two hours. This has not been five hours. This is not the day after October 7th. This is 10 minutes into a press conference. It is not late at night. It is not 1030 at night. It is not 11 or 12 at night. It is 8.08 p.m. And the president of the United States is calling the president of Egypt, the president of Mexico, while babbling nonsensically about the Israeli response in Gaza. I mean, have you ever seen a political self-immolation like this? He doused himself in political gasoline and then after a few attempts, set the match alight. My goodness. He's almost done. Here we go. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. I've been pushing really hard, really hard to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza. There are a lot of innocent people who are starving, a lot of innocent people who are in trouble and dying. And it's got to stop, number one. Number two, I was also in a position that I'm the guy that made the case that we have to do much more to increase the amount of material going in, including fuel. The wind-up toy is winding items, down. 
I've been on the phone with the Qataris, I've been on the phone with the Egyptians, I've been on the phone with the Saudis to get as much aid as we possibly can into Gaza. There are innocent people, innocent women and children who are also in bad, badly in need of help. And so that's what we're pushing. And I'm pushing very hard now to deal with this hostage ceasefire because, as a, you know, I've been working tirelessly in this deal. How can I say this without revealing it? To lead to a sustained pause in the fighting, in the actions taking place in, in the Gaza Strip. And uh, because I think if we can get the delay for that, uh, the initial oh delay, so I think it. that uh, we would be able to uh, extend that uh, so that we could increase the prospect that this fighting in Gaza changes. There's also negotiations. You may recall, in the very beginning, right after, right before Hamas attacked, I was in contact with the Saudis and others to work out a deal where they would recognize Israel's right to exist, let them make them part of the Middle East, and recognize them fully in return for certain things that the United States would commit to do. And the commitment to, that we were proposing to do related to two, uh, two, two items. I'm not going to go in detail, but one of them was to He's deal with uh, um, protection now. against their arch enemy to the northwest, a northeast. The northwest and northeast. The second one, by providing ammunition and material for them to defend themselves. Coincidentally, that's the time frame when this broke out. I have no proof what I'm about to say. But it's not unreasonable to suspect that the Hamas understood what was about to take place and wanted to break it up before it happened. And then he starts walking off and look at him. He's like, he, and then he just kind of staggers off. And that's that. So does anyone believe that this person is mentally fit to be president? If you're a Democrat, I have a question for you. You say that Donald Trump is the scariest thing ever to come down the pike, that if Donald Trump becomes president of the United States, that the United States is basically over. There will never be another election. It's Philip's, it's Philip Roth's, the, the, the plot against America, that Orange Hitler is going to be the guy in charge. Are you choosing to keep in place this doddering, senile old man? I mean, seriously, it is February, folks. It is February. The election is not until November If you, I can't, it's hard for me to even imagine the Democrats keep him at the top of the ticket. And if they do, if they do, are they likely to defeat Donald Trump? So the media have taken various angles on this Biden presser. Angle number one is that everything is just fine. Rachel Maddow tried this one out last night on MSNBC. She claimed that it's all hubbub about nothing. After all, Joe Biden can ride a bike and eat ice cream occasionally. Here we go. The fact of his age is not something you can rebut. Mm -hmm. It can't be, you can't tack to, if someone says you're too far left, you can tack to the center. You, you, there's no, the man is 80 years old. He rides a bike. He, he, like, like, but he like, is the age he is. And, and so it's, it's, it's a very useful political attack for that reason. Let's okay. Chris Hayes, at least living in the world of reality, Rachel Maddow being a look like does, he does ride a bike. He does ride a bike. Good luck to you with that argument. Now let's be clear about this. We live in such a crazy political time that that senile old man could very well win re-election. The reason I say this is because I'm old enough to remember a Senate race in Pennsylvania where a person who had a stroke and could not speak or hear won a Senate race simply because so many people did not like Donald Trump in Pennsylvania. 
So is it quite possible that Biden could win anyway? Sure. Is that a risk that Democrats are going to want to take? That's a serious question. Is that the, Now, the problem for them is that the person who's backing up Joe Biden is Kamala Harris, the least popular politician in American history. She's horrible and everyone knows it. She's actually more likely to lose to Donald Trump than Joe Biden. They'll just hide him in the basement, maybe if they can get away with it. And then eventually he'll pass on and then eventually Kamala Harris will be president and all the rest. That's the hope. But if they have Kamala Harris at the top of the ticket, they're toast. And they don't have a lot of other options. They'd have to find some way of getting rid of Kamala Harris and putting in, say, Gavin Newsom or something from California in order to have a much more robust candidate for the presidency. There's been some loose talk about Michelle Obama. She's made pretty clear she's not interested in running at this point. She would be a solution to all the Democrats' problems because she's a black woman, which means that she could supplant Kamala Harris and nobody would say boo inside the Democratic Party. But she apparently doesn't want it. But Democrats have a real pickle on their hands, a serious problem on their hands. And Donald Trump knows it, which is why yesterday Donald Trump was out there slamming Joe Biden's mental acuity. As you know, the wreck should have never happened. That was a balance against Iran, and we blew out the balance, and now Iran has essentially Iraq. And Iraq doesn't like saying that, but that's the way it is, and uh, it's a shame. The world is in tremendous danger. We're in danger of possibly a World War III, and we have a man who's absolutely the worst president in the history of our country can't put two sentences together. He's not going to be able to negotiate with Putin or Xi or Kim Jong-un, North Korea. Not going to be able to negotiate with anybody. All he knows how to do is drop bombs all over the place, meaningless bombs, except they kill a lot of people. Hey, now, here's the thing. You're seeing members of the media who are trying to compare Donald Trump's mental acuity to Joe Biden's. There are a lot of questions about Donald Trump in terms of his, for example, impulse control. But... If you are trying to pretend that these two men are somehow in the same league in terms of closeness to senility, that is obviously untrue. It's obviously untrue. Now, Trump, for his part, had a pretty awesome day yesterday. First, he watched Joe Biden completely blow himself up in the greatest political self-own I have ever seen in my lifetime. And then the Supreme Court basically struck down this idiotic argument that he shouldn't be allowed on the Colorado ballot. So the Supreme Court had a hearing yesterday. During that hearing, virtually all of the justices were slapping around the lawyers suggesting that Donald Trump could simply be kicked off the ballot in Colorado for quote-unquote insurrection, despite the fact that insurrection has no actual legal definition sufficient to support that on a federal level. Here is Chief Justice John Roberts, who of course is really no right-winger, talking to Jason Murray, the Colorado voters' attorney who is defending Colorado's action of kicking Trump off the ballot. Uh, I would expect that uh, you know, a goodly number of states will say, uh, whoever the Democratic candidate is, you're off the ballot, and others, uh, the, for the Republican candidate, you're off the ballot, and it'll come down to just a handful of states that are going to decide the presidential election. That's a pretty daunting consequence. Well, certainly, Your Honor, the fact that there are potential frivolous applications of a constitutional provision isn't a reason. Well, no, hold on. I mean, you might think they're frivolous, but the people who are bringing them may not think they're frivolous. Um, insurrection is a broad, uh, broad term. And if there's some debate about it, I suppose that will go into the uh, decision. And then eventually what we would be deciding, uh, whether uh, it was an insurrection when one president did something as opposed to when somebody else did something else. And what do we do? Do we wait until near the time of uh, uh, counting the ballots and sort of go through which states uh, are valid and which states aren't. 
Okay, so that's John Roberts taking to task Jason Murray, the Colorado voters attorney. And it was pretty much every justice yesterday. It was Justice Kavanaugh. It was Justice Gorsuch. Here was Justice Gorsuch going after the anti-Trump lawyer. Well, ultimately, there still has to be some kind of procedure in place to adjudicate the disqualification. Certainly, Congress could impeach a sitting president, but that's the only remedy I'm aware of that exists for, for removal or otherwise negating the authority of a sitting president. Why? Well, the, on, what, on what theory? Because the, the, the Section 3 speaks about disqualification from holding office. You say he is disqualified from holding office from the moment it happens. Correct, but nevertheless... So, so it, it operates, you say, that there's no, no legislation necessary. I thought that was the whole theory of your case. And no procedure necessary. It happens automatically. Well, certainly you need a procedure in order to have any remedy to enforce the disqualification, which is I under, That's a whole separate question. That's the de facto doctrine. It doesn't work here. Okay, put that aside. He's disqualified from the moment. Self-executing. Done. And I would think that a person who would receive a direction from that person, the president, former president, in your view, would be free to act as he or she wishes without regard to that individual. I don't think so, because I think, again, the de facto Why? officer doctrine would nevertheless come into play to say this is the no de facto. That, w- that doesn't work, Mr. Murray, because de facto officer is to ratify the conduct that's done afterwards and, and, and insulate it from judicial review. Put that aside. I'm not going to say it again. Put it aside. OK, so again, getting batted around. Trump's going to be on the ballot. That's just the way that it is. So again, Democrats have a choice. They can leave Joe Biden there and take their chances or they can try to defenestrate him and throw the entire race into complete and utter chaos. 2024 is indeed the at least he's not the other guy election. (laughs) That's effectively where we are right now. We have the Democrats who are actively making the case that at least Joe Biden isn't Trump. And we have Trump backers who are making the case to independents and Democrats. Well, at least he's not Joe Biden. What an election this is going to be. Okay. meanwhile, Tucker Carlson did his long awaited interview with Vladimir Putin yesterday. I thought Tucker did fine. I mean, I thought that he asked some pointed questions, particularly near the end about Evan Gershkowitz, which were, I think, very useful. Those were questions about the Wall Street Journal reporter who's essentially been kidnapped by the Russian authorities and is being held in jail for no actual reason for as a bargaining chip. I thought there were certain areas where maybe Tucker could have pushed back harder, but the reality is that Putin just used the platform as a way of filibustering. I don't think Tucker did anything wrong in doing the interview. In fact, I think, again, Tucker asked some interesting questions. That is fully coincident with a belief that Vladimir Putin is an anti-American dictator who has very evil intentions and proceeded to use the interview as a filibuster technique. And I mean, even Tucker basically said so up front. Tucker said in in introducing the interview, the first 35 minutes of the interview is just Vladimir Putin essentially beginning with the creation of the earth, explaining his version of the history of Ukraine. And Tucker is like, explain why you invaded Ukraine. And Vladimir Putin is like, it began with the forging of the Great Rings. Like, that, that's, really, that's really what happened. And he goes for like 35 minutes just explaining what he sees as the history of Ukraine, which he says was never really a sovereign country and was really created by Vladimir Lenin, which is not really the case. And all this is revisionist history, but you'd have to be sort of expert on Eastern European politics and the history of Ukraine, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, the history of, of Russia, Eastern Europe, in order to fact check him in real time on this sort of stuff. And that's not something I think Tucker is particularly interested in. Here was Vladimir Putin taking advantage of the situation to talk about how Lenin created Ukraine. 
What matters is that Lenin, the founder of the Soviet state, established Ukraine that way. For decades, the Ukrainian Soviet Republic developed as part of the USSR. And for unknown reasons, again, the Bolsheviks were engaged in Ukrainianization. It was not merely because the Soviet leadership was composed to a great extent of those originating from Ukraine. Rather, it was explained by the general policy of indigenization pursued by the Soviet Union. Same things were done in other Soviet republics. This involved promoting national languages and national cultures, which is not a bad in principle. Yeah, and it went on like that this like 35 minutes, Soviet by the way. And Tucker is sitting there like, can I get to like an answer to a question at any point here? But a, a couple things jump out. One is that when you actually listen to the full interview, you'll see that Vladimir Putin has a very self-serving view of Ukrainian history that basically allows him to argue that Ukraine should be fully ingested by Russia. He claims that, of course, he has clean hands and all of this. He's never had nefarious thought. He's never had nefarious opinion. He, in fact, is not anti-American. It's just that the Americans have been unkind to him over the course of Russian history after the fall of the Soviet Union. You'll also notice that just in terms of affect, Vladimir Putin, for all the time, there was a lot of talk about how Vladimir Putin is dying, how Vladimir Putin is sick. He certainly does not look like he is dying or sick in this interview. Vladimir Putin is very much alive. He is very much with it. I mean, just in terms of personal affect, if you are worried about the future of the United States and you see, as I do, Russia as a nefarious force in the world in terms of foreign policy, which they have been and continue to be, then the prospect of a president who is not with it sitting across the table from Vladimir Putin should not make anyone sanguine at this point. So again, he went on like this for a very, very, very long time. And again, his history basically suggests that the reason that he attacked Ukraine is because there was a promise that was made, for example, that the West would not expand NATO eastward in the aftermath of the fall of the Soviet Union. That promise was apparently never made, according to Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the head of, of the Soviet Union at the time the promise was supposedly made. So he claims that the U.S. broke its promises there. And then Tucker asked what is an interesting question. He says, why exactly did the end of the Cold War not fix the relationship? And of course, Putin then blames the United States. Why did the end of the Cold War not fix the relationship? What motivates this from your point of view? You said I was bitter about the answer. No, it's not bitterness. It's just a statement of fact. We're not bride and groom, bitterness, resentment. It's not about those kind of matters in such circumstances. We just realized we weren't welcome there, that's all. Okay, fine. But let's build relations in another manner. Let's work for common ground elsewhere. Why we received such a negative response, you should ask your leaders. I can only guess why. Too big a country with its own opinion and so on. And the United States, I've seen how issues are being resolved in NATO. So again, his idea here is that it was the United States that really led to the conflict between the U.S. and Russia post-Soviet. Okay, that is not accurate. The reality is that Russia took a very hard anti-U.S., anti-Western stance in, for example, the war in Yugoslavia. They were backing the Serbs. The Serbs were committing what amounts to technically a form of genocide. Yeah, there are all sorts of reasons why the U.S. and Russia didn't end up walking in lockstep, as John Connor suggests that he thought that they would in Terminator 2, for example. There are a lot of reasons for that. It is not merely that Russia is a wonderful player on the world stage. Again, Russia has spent the, the time since the fall of the Soviet Union embracing oligarchization, destroying its own democratic flowers, 
shutting down the press, killing political opponents, invading sovereign countries. They invaded Georgia, they invaded Ukraine twice. They're threatening other states that are in their near area. And this is, none of this is a critique of Tucker, by the way. All of this is a critique of Putin. And it's, it's a lot of revisionist history. So Putin, for example, he says that he didn't actually start the war in 2014 in Ukraine, in Crimea and the Donbass. That, of course, is untrue. He sent what they called little green men, which were Russian soldiers wearing the uniforms of separatists into these areas to effectively create breakaway arenas in these particular areas. But what's weird is that Russia didn't actually want to simply annex the parts that weren't Crimea. So Russia annexed Crimea after 2014. Russia did not annex the parts of the Donbass it controlled. Why? The reason is because the Russian government was trying to use those areas of Ukraine as a base of operations from which to democratically take over the government of Ukraine. And this led to all sorts of bizarre sort of ramifications in which the central government of Ukraine did not want to allow regional elections in the Donbass out of fear that those would then become effectively sort of enemies within people who wanted to hand over the entirety of Ukraine to the Russians. It led to all sorts of serious conflicts. It led to the violation of the Minsk agreements, which were agreements signed after 2014 that were pretty unclear in exactly how they were to be interpreted. Both Russia and Ukraine violated the Minsk agreements. By the way, the bottom line here is that only one country invaded the sovereign territory of another country. Russia invaded the sovereign territory of Ukraine. They tried to march on Kiev and take the entire country. Here was Vladimir Putin claiming that actually it was Ukraine that started the war, despite the fact that, realistically speaking, Vladimir Zelensky was a dove. Hey, before the war, Vladimir Zelensky actively informed his entire upper military echelon that he didn't want them openly preparing for war because he was afraid that it would scuttle any peace negotiations that he had with Putin. He came to office pledging that he was going to make peace with Vladimir Putin. In fact, there are a lot of people on the ground in Ukraine who are very angry at Zelensky for having improperly prepared Ukraine for the invasion by Russia. Literally days before the invasion, he was basically happy talking the entire possibility of an invasion of Ukraine, Zelensky. In any case, here is Putin claiming that everything is everybody else's fault, of course. It was they who started the war in 2014. Our goal is to stop this war. And we did not start this war in 2022. This is an attempt to stop it. Um, then why hasn't the war stopped? That would be the big question. So that's the question that Tucker asked. He says, well, why don't you just stop the war? And Putin then lays out a rationale for the complete dissolution of the government of Ukraine. He claims that the government of Ukraine requires denazification. Listen to the twisted logic here. Now, again, Ukraine does have certain parties in its military, namely the Azov Battalion, that have been highly linked to neo-Nazism in the past. For sure, that is true. The idea that the government of Ukraine is effectively a giant Nazi party is a bizarre argument from Vladimir Putin. Here we go. Do you think you've stopped it now? I mean, have you achieved your aims? Uh, no, we haven't achieved our aims yet, because one of them is the Nazification. These were people who exterminated Poles, Jews and Russians. It is necessary to stop this practice and prevent the dissemination of this concept. I say that Ukrainians are part of the one Russian people. They say, no, we are a separate people. Okay, fine. If they consider themselves a separate people, they have the right to do so. But not on the basis of Nazism, the Nazi ideology. Okay, so what he's doing there, the case that he's making is that many people who are considered sort of the heroes of Ukraine, 
because they resisted, for example, the Soviet takeover of Ukraine in the aftermath of World War II or as World War II is ending, that many of the people who were resistant to the Soviet takeover were people who were, in fact, pro-Nazi. And this is the difficulty of European history. That also happens to be true in a lot of Eastern European countries, that many of the people who who were rebelling against communist rule in the post-war period were people who had formerly allied with the Nazis. There's no doubt about that. The idea that all of Ukraine is taken over by Nazism because of that is totally crazy. That is a wild contention by Vladimir Putin. By the way, when Putin argues that he is attempting denazification in Ukraine, which of course is an absurdity, and then he tells his misbegotten history of World War II, one of the things he actually said in this interview is he blamed Poland for the outbreak of World War II, which is pretty wild. For a guy who's claiming that he wants to denazify, the claim that the Nazis were not responsible for World War II is a hell of a claim. Here's what he had to say. In 1939, after Poland cooperated with Hitler, he did collaborate with Hitler, you know? Hitler offered Poland peace and a treaty of friendship, an alliance demanding in return that Poland give back to Germany the so-called Danzig Corridor, which connected the bulk of Germany with East Prussia and Königsberg. After World War I, this territory was transferred to Poland, and instead of Danzig, a city of Dansk emerged. Hitler asked them to give it amicably, but they refused. Of course. Still, they collaborated with Hitler and engaged together in the partitioning of Czechoslovakia. And now let me explain what he is attempting to say here, and it makes no sense. He's been making this claim for a lot of years. The reason he's making this claim is because he is a defender of the Soviet Union. Okay, the actual history when it comes to the breakout of World War II is that the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, which ensured that Russia would not attack Hitler from the east, divvied up Poland. It carved it directly in half, and it gave a large chunk of it to the Nazis and a large chunk of it to the Soviets in the aftermath of the Nazis sweeping through Poland. They divvied up a bunch of territory, the Soviets and the Nazis. They, of course, were the real allies. So if you are Russian, you have an interest in claiming that the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact was not, in fact, an attempt to grab land while allying with Hitler. It was actually an attempt to forestall a Hitlerian invasion of the Soviet Union, an invasion that, of course, did, in fact, happen in 1941. So that is a revisionist history. The claim that, that Putin makes right there is that Poland was somehow allied with Germany because during the Sudetenland agreement, during the Munich agreements of 1938, when Czechoslovakia was basically divvied up because Hitler took it and then the Western powers basically just shrugged. That's, that's the famous piece in our time, Neville Chamberlain stuff. When that happened, Czechoslovakia got divvied up by a number of parties, including some to Hungary, some to Germany, and Poland. At the very last minute, they like grabbed a tiny sliver of Czechoslovakia that had, in the aftermath of World War I, belonged to them. The borders in Eastern Europe were constantly changing like all the time. Okay, so because of that, he claimed they were allies of Hitler, which, of course, is weird because then Hitler demanded that a port city essentially be turned over to the to the Germans and Poland refused. And that was the outbreak of World War II. And the way Putin plays that is that Poland was actually pushing Germany too hard and forced Hitler to invade Poland, which is insane. And that that's why World War II began. Now, the reason he's saying that also is because that sort of is what he is saying about Ukraine. What he's basically saying is that because Ukraine is, in, is defending its own borders and because 
Russia has been encroaching on those borders since 2014 in Crimea and in the Donbass. And because Ukraine doesn't want to grant enough power to those areas, that is what justifies the, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He's simultaneously saying that while saying that he's trying to denazify. Again, none of this makes any sort of sense, but Putin's a clever operator. Okay, so again, none of this is on Tucker. It's all on Putin. Putin is Putin's a clever operator, obviously. He's a very smart guy. He's completely vicious. He has no commitment to the truth. He's a KGB operative. I mean, can we stop pretending that Vladimir Putin is some sort of great savior and scion of the West? He obviously is not. He's a Russian national. He's an arch Russian nationalist who wishes to expand the borders of what he perceives to be his new empire. He wishes to grab some strategic territory. Crimea is very strategic. The areas of the Donbass that he's currently occupying are very strategic. And of course, he would love to break apart NATO because that would allow him the possibility of further territorial expansion, which is why if you talk to anyone from any of the Baltic states, they don't believe him. And those are people who do have a border with Vladimir Putin. We talk about how, you know, Americans, we shouldn't really care all that much about what's going on in Eastern Europe. Yeah, but Eastern Europeans should. I mean, Eastern Europeans have every right to be afraid of Vladimir Putin. If you ask a Lithuanian or if you ask an Estonian or if you ask somebody from Poland, are they worried about Russia on their borders? The answer is, if you have any knowledge of history about this region whatsoever, of course they're worried about Russia on their borders. Russia has a long history of invading these places, obviously. So Tucker asks him about this in clip 10. Tucker says, you know, people are arguing that you invaded Ukraine and you have further territorial aims and Putin just flat denies it, which, again, I don't believe the KGB operative. Sorry. Well, the argument, I know you know this, is that, well, he invaded Ukraine. He has territorial aims across the continent. And you're saying unequivocally you don't. It is absolutely out of the question. You just don't have to be any kind of analyst. It goes against common sense to get involved in some kind of a global war. And a global war will bring all humanity to the brink of destruction. He's saying it's this after obvious. invading Ukraine and threatening the use of nuclear weapons. I don't believe you, sir. Okay. And, um, and then Putin makes what is the case that he's been waiting to make the entire interview, right? He makes the case that Americans should basically not care about any of this. Don't you guys have your own problems? So if I ingest Ukraine, what problem is it of yours? And again, clever tactic by Putin. Because the reality is that, yes, Ukraine is very far away. Now, there are serious geopolitical ramifications to Putin simply being able to take over all of Ukraine. First of all, there are serious economic ramifications, not only because of complete Russian control of the Black Sea and shipping routes and all the rest of it, but also because Ukraine is the number three grain producer in all the world. Also, because that would then put Vladimir Putin directly on the borders of Hungary, on the borders of Poland. It would also grant him the presumed ability to run directly through Lithuania toward Kaliningrad, as we discussed yesterday. I mean, if you think that Putin's ambitions somehow end here, I'm just wondering, why did he invade Georgia? Like, like this is not the first time he's invaded Ukraine. It's not the first country he's invaded. So, uh, you know, granting him the benefit of the doubt that he is just a mild-mannered person who is seeking to protect Russian interests without crossing sovereign borders ignores, you know, like his entire regime. Uh, here, here he was, uh, though, trying to make the sort of quasi-isolationist case for, uh, for America ignoring what's going on. Do the United States need this? What for? Thousands of miles away from your national territory. Don't you have anything better to do? You have issues on the border, issues with migration, issues with the national debt, more than 33 trillion dollars. You have nothing better to do, so you should fight in Ukraine? 
Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia? Make an agreement? Okay, pause it right there. So here's the question. What agreement is Putin proposing here? What, what agreement is he proposing? So during the interview, he referenced the idea that there was an agreement that was put on the table in like April of 2022 in Istanbul. And that agreement was still being fought over. There were still questions about whether an agreement would be reached. And they're getting somewhat close to an agreement by pretty much all available reports, including one from the Wall Street Journal just this week. There's only one problem. In the middle of those negotiations, as the Russians pulled away from Kiev, because they're actually having some pretty significant military problems near Kiev, as they pulled away, they pulled away from a town called Buka. That town was the site of a massacre of 450 people, including men, women, and children. And when the West saw that, the West said, okay, I don't think we can quite negotiate the way that we were before because you guys are committing full-on war atrocities. That's what scuttled the negotiations or the atrocities in Buka. Now, if that, table, if that deal were put back on the table, would Vladimir Putin accept that deal today? He's made that completely unclear. The biggest question from the Tucker interview is what does Putin want? What will he accept in return for an end to the war? And at no point does he really explain that. That is the biggest problem. So Tucker does ask him that near the end of the interview. He says, would you be willing to say to NATO, like, you win, we're done here. And here's Putin's answer. Would you be willing to say, congratulations, NATO, you won, and just keep the situation where it is now? You know, it is a subject matter for the negotiations. No one is willing to conduct or, to put it more accurately, they are willing but do not know how to do it. I know they want to. It is not just I see it, but I know they do want it. But they are struggling to understand how to do it. They have driven the situation to the point where we are at. It is not us who have done that. It is our partners, opponents who have done that. Well, now let them think how to reverse the situation. Okay, there's only one problem with that. That is not an answer to the question. So the only question that Tucker you know, set out to get an answer to, Putin wouldn't answer. Right? The only question that matters, how do we get to an end to this thing? Putin wouldn't answer. Instead, he used the interview as an opportunity to talk about how the West is terrible to him and the West is super mean to him and talk about the glories of the Russian empire. At some point, he actually suggested that Russia has always been very loyal to people who profess other religions, which comes as a bit of a shock to all the Jews who were forced into the pale of settlement over the course of Russian history. And it, but in any case, Putin is a, is a skilled dissembler. He's a skilled liar. It's what he does. He is, in fact, a dictator who does not have America's best interests at heart. So again, two things can be true at once. One, Tucker did a fine, incredible job in this interview. And there's nothing wrong with Tucker interviewing Putin. Two, you shouldn't believe a word that comes out of Putin's mouth because, in fact, he's an anti-American dictator who kills his political opponents and really seeks to set Russia up as a counterbalance to the United States in world politics. Alrighty, folks, the rest of the show continues right now. We will be getting into whether the Senate of the United States will, in fact, approve some form of aid to Ukraine and to Israel. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. One stage. One night. No limits. Don't miss the epic return of the God King, Jeremy Boring, with Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Clavin. Backstage. Watch it live Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, exclusively on the Daily Wire Plus app and on dailywire.com. Picture this. 
You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com Shapiro. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Shapiro. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. CarShield.com Shapiro. That's CarShield.com Shapiro. Uh, 